Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to your last episode of Rossafari Zoo News for 2022. The good news is that a week from today, you'll get your first episode of Rossafari Zoo News for 2023, because that is how humans perceive time. Whether that's actually how time works or not, I don't know. But anyway, that uh, is besides the point. I am excited to have you all here. And a uh, quick reminder, this is Rossafari Zoo News. So we're going to be looking at all the things going on in the world of zoos and aquariums and conservation and animal weirdness. And don't forget that you can contribute to every Zoo News episode by tagging me in stories or sending them to me. Uh, my email address is rossafaripod at gmail.com, or you can tag me on social medias at rossafari, on TikTok at rossafaripod. And um, whether I feature your story or not, I will thank you by saying your name at the end of the episode. So you get to be famous. Famous? Is that the word? Famous is probably not the word. But uh, hey, you can contribute to this awesome podcast. So uh, yeah, I want to um, give you a little bit of an update on the end of my year. So uh, I don't know if y'all heard, but uh, on on Christmas and around Christmas, uh, there was a, um, a a slight blizzard in the Buffalo area that was part of a larger storm system that basically happened throughout much of the U.S. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in Zoo News. But um, for me personally, what it meant was that I spent the few days before Christmas, uh, including Christmas Eve day, with Miles. And then uh, my parents joined us uh, on Christmas Eve day. And then my plan was to drive up to Buffalo to spend time with Zoe and her parents and our dogs and their dogs and lots of dogs and so many dogs. And uh, it, it, all, it all fell apart a little bit because uh, there was the worst storm that Buffalo has had since at least 1970, possibly uh, earlier. And so what I ended up doing was I left Miles and I headed up to uh, New York State, but not all the way to Buffalo. Um, I stopped uh, probably about an hour before where the storm was hitting and got a hotel and woke up Christmas morning in a hotel by myself. Now that might sound sad to a lot of you, but um, honestly, I've spent more than my fair number of Christmases in hotels or cast housing or even on a tour bus. So it, it really didn't bother me much, although I was sad that I was not home with uh, family like I was hoping to be. However, the good news was that despite there being a lot of driving restrictions and a lot of roads closed, I was able to find a path home and Plows took that path before I did. Some 
barely did, but uh, so I was able to get home on Christmas and spend some time with family, which was awesome and nice and relaxing. And uh, for those of you that have been following along, you know that this year has been a lot for me. And this time period right now is the only time of the year where it was kind of a planned not a lot. So getting home and being able to relax and being with people that I love and all of that, uh, it, it really has... Ah, it's been wonderful. Y'all, I've played so much Pokemon and done so little real work. It's It's been fantastic. It was really interesting um, driving home through the storm. So a lot of people decided that they could drive in a blizzard. They, they were uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Wrong. Wrong is the word I'm looking for. Uh, everything from full 18-wheeler – truckers to people who, you know, were zipping around in their little hybrids like I am, uh, just got their car stranded on the roads. And like, I've seen cars stranded on roads before, but I have never seen anything like this. When I was driving home, especially the last 20 miles or so, you could not go 50 feet without finding a car stranded and stuck in feet of snow and having to dodge around it. And they'd plowed around it. So the roads kept becoming one lane roads. And it was honestly, if you've ever seen the walking dead, that's what it reminded me of. There were just abandoned cars everywhere and no sign of humans. It was, it was really trippy, but, uh, the roads were fine and I felt safe. And, uh, so I made it. So that was cool. And now we're heading into the new year. And the new year for me is going to start in Buffalo. But then on the second, I am flying out to Phoenix, Arizona for a week of shows with Great Balls of Fire. Uh, we're going to be at the Arizona Broadway Theater right outside of Phoenix, technically. And uh, we're going to be on the main stage for a week. We were there last year as a like cabaret type act. And uh, I guess we were so successful that they're bringing us back as a main stage show. So if you happen to be in the uh, Arizona area, come out and check out that show. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a really good time. I'm hoping to get back to some of the Arizona facilities that were on last year when I played out there. But I'm not going to lie to y'all. Our schedule is ridiculous. It's really tight. This is very much much a fly-in, play, fly-out kind of thing, so I make no promises. I also have been really lazy about reaching out to anybody because I don't know if it's going to be possible yet. So fingers crossed that we get something, or at the very least, that I get to visit and get us some good photos and videos for Instagram and TikTok and all of that. Uh, but yeah, so that's what's going on for me, and um, I guess it's time to get to Zoo News. One, two, three, four. Ow, that's a funky monkey. Treat Oh, I've been to wrong. It's all right, so we are going to start off this week with some really, 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 really exciting news out of Roger Williams Park Zoo. Uh, there is a new baby animal at Roger Williams Park Zoo that I am just slightly excited about because it is a baby matchies tree kangaroo. As y'all know, that is one of my favorite species, and um, I am just so excited. So matchies tree kangaroos are 
you know, a, a type of marsupial. And as such, the baby is a joey. In this case, the joey is named Paya, P-A-I-A. And it is adorable. It is still hanging out in the pouch. So sometimes you can see, you know, a face or a foot. If you haven't been on Instagram to at RWP Zoo, you definitely need to go and check this out. Um, it is freaking adorable. And, you know, I have a great relationship with Roger Williams Park Zoo. I have met the tree roos there. I am just so excited for all of the people involved. Uh, their lead keeper on the tree kangaroos is named Mac. And Mac is an awesome human and is so passionate about tree kangaroos and their conservation that I know this is a huge deal for Mac. Unfortunately, Mac is not the type who would ever want to be on a podcast, which is sad because y'all would, would love Mac. But that's okay. I will just tell you about the fact that I am so excited for Mac and uh, for everyone at Roger Williams Park Zoo. This is just such hugely great news and I want to go to there and see this tree kangaroo. So that that last part isn't so much news as just me talking about me. But uh, hey, we do that on here. Um, and that's not the only birth I'm going to tell you about right now. As you may remember, uh, 2022 is the year of the tiger, and the year of the tiger is being ended in style at the Adelaide Zoo, where they recently had a litter of not one, not two, but three tiger cubs. That is so awesome and so exciting. So in sticking with, um, you know, what we've been doing on here this year, that would make them tiglets or tiglets, tiglets like tigger. I don't know. I'm going with tiglets because that, you know, the species is tiger and also the tree kangaroo would be treelet. I get maybe roulette, truelet. Matchlet, matchlet for Matchy's tree kangaroo, matchlet. Nobody cares about this except for me, but I commit to the bit. So there you go. Anyway, congrats to everyone at Roger Williams Park Zoo and the Adelaide Zoo for these awesome and amazing and exciting births. Next, I would like to tell you some exciting news out of the Columbus Zoo. Now, recently, you may remember, there was some controversy. The Columbus Zoo was not accredited by the AZA because of some malfeasance from some higher-ups who are no longer there. It was a whole thing. I don't really love it, even though I love and support the AZA in general. Um, I don't agree with this decision. Uh, I've done a whole episode about it. You can go back and, and search on it. But one thing that was important then was that the AZA did specify that the zookeepers and the, the animal care staff and the animal care in general at the Columbus Zoo – was second to none. They said it was incredible. The accreditation was denied because of other reasons, accounting stuff, stuff that doesn't have to do with the animals, which is why I think it is so awesome that at the recent National AAZK conference, the Columbus Zoo AAZK won the Chapter of the Year Award. AAZK, in case you forget, is the American Association of Zookeepers. So this is a really big deal. It shows that these keepers are not only great keepers, but to win this award, they have to be very dedicated to conservation and education as well as the welfare of their animals. So congratulations to the team at the Columbus Zoo for winning this prestigious award. 
All right. So now we have to go to a little bit of bad news because, of course, it's not all good news on Zoo News, sadly. So you may remember that recently there was a video that went viral um, where two chimps were reunited. The the mother, Mahale, and the um, baby, Kucheza, had to be separated at birth because Kucheza needed some veterinary help to survive. And they were reunited after two days apart and uh, it was a very happy, loving reunion. And of course, because of that, it went viral. Unfortunately, when Keeper showed up to work earlier this week, they found Kucheza dead in the exhibit. And um, the mother, Mahale, was holding the chimp and at first was unwilling to let go as uh, she was mourning her dead child. Um, Now, Sedgwick County Zoo, where all of this takes place, uh, did a very thorough necropsy. And it turns out that the cause of death was head trauma. Um, it's really hard to figure out exactly what caused that based on the family social dynamics and what they know of the individual chimps there. Uh, it was probably an accident. Maybe they were playing too hard or maybe Kucheza slipped or something like that. Um, they believe they can rule out infanticide, um, which is the intentional killing of infants, which definitely happens in uh, wild chimpanzee populations and sometimes in captive, although they're usually able to prevent it. But uh, yeah, the uh, the entire group of chimps has been rather subdued and is mourning, but they are, um, you know, the staff there is keeping an eye on what's going on. And apparently in the last day or two, the chimps have started vocally greeting keepers again, which is a good sign. Um, the chimps have been giving Mahale a lot of extra attention and and helping helping her to grieve and to mourn, um, which is, you know, this is such a sad story, but it, it's kind of beautiful to know that that happens and that this is a society of very intelligent animals that that do take care of each other so um it's a big loss and it is really sad but but there is a lot of beauty in it too i I guess that's the the good takeaway but it's a hard one y'all it's a hard one So I mentioned in the intro to this episode that um, there was a major blizzard up in the Buffalo area, and it was part of a storm system that brought a lot of really unexpected cold temperatures and snow problems to a large portion of the United States. Uh, So far, the good news is that there are not any zoos that have reported any deaths or incidents or even like building collapses or anything because of these unprecedented storms. That is really exciting and really good news and is a testament to the awesome emergency preparedness work that these staffs uh, undergo and and the training that they have. And, and yay team. I'm very happy about that. I do want to take a moment to thank and congratulate all of the keepers at these various zoos that had to take extra steps. For instance, I know that at the Buffalo Zoo and at the Cincinnati Zoo, keepers stayed overnight at the zoo. Um, and I know that some of these buildings even lost power and stuff. But they stayed and they did the thing. They took care of the animals. And um, it's it's just, a, you know, another great story of how zookeepers are so dedicated and such hardworking individuals and so criminally underpaid most of the time, even the ones that make a lot of money. Um, but, yeah, so that's cool. Uh, another bummer that comes from this, though, is that a lot of zoos have had to not only be closed over what is, 
you know, winter break for a lot of colleges and stuff. It's actually a really popular time in the winter for zoos to make some money because a lot of times they just don't. Most people don't go to the zoo in the winter. I got to tell y'all going to the zoo in the winter is pretty awesome, uh, but a lot of people don't. And uh, not only that, but a lot of zoos have those zoo lights going on, which bring in a ton of money for them after hours, and those have had to be canceled. So if you are looking for any opportunities to do any uh, giving, donating, that kind of thing to, to zoos, uh, please consider looking at your local zoo um, or finding a place like the Buffalo Zoo that was hit particularly hard and making a donation to that zoo because uh, they are missing out on a lot of money towards the end of the year here that, um, you know, a lot of zoos are still kind of recovering from their their COVID losses and everything. So it's not not the easiest time financially right now. So if there's anything you can do to help, please do so. And as if crazy winter storms weren't enough, uh, the um, Sequoia Park Zoo in California recently got to be part of a 6.4 magnitude earthquake that was felt all throughout Humboldt County, the county where the zoo is located. So that was exciting for them. Um, they uh, they put out a post that I thought was really cool, though, saying that once the earthquake settled, animal care staff follow established emergency procedures to begin checking each habitat to ensure that animals are safe and healthy. The staff then reports to the zoo, and in this case, all animals were fine. Uh, there is additional on-site preparedness planning. Uh, this includes surplus food for every animal, emergency medical supplies, and a generator, which was uh, not necessary in this case, but can be at other times. And so, yeah, just a great example of Sequoia Park Zoo doing what they're supposed to do. And they closed uh, that day um, just to make sure everything was taken care of. And also because there were power outages going on throughout the county and all kinds of craziness. But they were able to open the very next day and everything was fine. So just another great example of zoos being good at emergencies. The San Antonio Zoo in Texas recently was awarded the National Excellence in Breeding Award from the ZAA, the Zoological Association of America, which is another accrediting body like the AZA. That's where Southwicks is accredited and, and some of the other zoos that we've had on here. Uh, Bright's Zoo is another example. Wildlife World out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah, so it's it's a it's another great accreditation uh, group, and um, they they recently awarded this to the San Antonio Zoo for being the only institution in the U.S. to successfully breed the psychedelic rock gecko. I love the name of that so much, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, and so they have been working on this uh, this breeding project for a while now and are having success. They had 11 baby geckos this year, uh, which is the most that they have ever had. They've been working on this for a long time and are now starting to share their uh, breeding program with other zoos to help try and uh, do more of this uh, breeding and reintroduction of this endangered species. So just a very cool story and nice to see that they were rewarded for their efforts. 
On a side note and just kind of a funny story, uh, South Coast Today and the Standard Times uh, put out a thing that was basically talking about all of these celebrity sightings and Hollywood and other cool things that happened in New Bedford, Massachusetts this year, which is where Buttonwood Park Zoo is located, which is where I went and played the drums with Emily. And we made the list. Actually, Emily made the list. Nobody cares about me. But Emily, the drumming elephant, is famous. And and keeps getting more press. And I bring this up mainly because um, I just think it's amazing. I think it is absolutely amazing watching how people have connected with this thing and and how much people are learning about and, and falling in love with this elephant and uh, the effect that it's having on the zoo and all of that is just cool to see. So, you know, it's nice to see even more good press for this fun little thing that I went and did for 20 minutes once and didn't really think about uh, ever getting to be anything like it is. Life's funny that way sometimes. Uh, But we're going to move on to a couple of sadder stories now. The National Zoo announced the death of a 10-year-old Cuban crocodile that died after chewing on electrical equipment at the zoo. So um, basically, it sounds like what happened here is that uh, they installed a new electrical outlet and infrastructure in the croc's habitat, which was four and a half feet off the ground, which was higher than the original outlet that had been there. And, um, you know, the outlet had been there, the original outlet had been there for a long time and everything was fine. But when the croc saw the new one, it decided to become aggressive, was able to launch itself four and a half feet out of the water, grab onto it with its obviously very strong jaws, pull it down into the water and start chewing on the electrical equipment, which led to the uh, Cuban crocodile being electrocuted. Uh, This is really, really sad. Um, but it's, it's also kind of inexcusable in my opinion. This, uh, this could have been avoided. I love the national zoo and I love the work that they do, but, uh, this, this was a mistake. And, and I hope that other zoos can learn from this and do a better job of protecting the electrical, uh, you know, outlets and stuff that they put into exhibits with aggressive animals and water. And I'm also sad to tell you that eight of the nine stingrays that live at the National Mississippi River Museum and Aquarium uh, have passed away unexpectedly and suddenly. Now, these are rays that are in touch tanks. And, you know, I'm not opposed to that when it is done right and when everything is good. But this is now the third time uh, since I've started doing Zoo News that I have reported on the death of all or nearly all of the rays in a single touch tank. So maybe this is something we need to look into further. This has happened always at great facilities. I've, I've been to this place. I have touched the rays on the tank and, you know, it's a good facility. They, they do good work. And, and that's true of the other facilities where this happened as well. But um, this is now the third time that most, if not all of the rays in an exhibit passed away. In this case, one survived and her name is Penny. Um, and I, I hope that they're able to figure out what happened. Uh, They've not announced it yet, although they have said that they are looking into it. But um, I also hope that maybe they're able to to study Penny and some of the other survivors from some of these, these horrible things to, to figure out what is helping the, these individuals stay alive. But yeah, this is, this is a tragedy. On a happier note, Empire State Development has awarded a $1 million grant to help Aquarium of Niagara fund a 
bunch of new cool stuff. So $900,000 of that million are going to um, opening the Discovery Center on Niagara Falls State Park land, which used to be a geological museum that opened back in 1971. Uh, And it closed down and um, is now going to become a new building for aquarium at Niagara, which is really exciting. Uh, This is a a small aquarium up here, but it's a really good one. Uh, I say up here because I'm up in Buffalo right now, which is right by Niagara Falls. And um, it's a really great facility. And they're opening up this whole second building, trying to turn it into a campus that brings more people to the falls and brings more visitors of the falls to their campus to educate them about animals and conservation. So that is a win-win. And uh, this is a really great use of you know, a million dollars. Speaking of which, the last hundred grand of that is actually going to be used for promotion and such, because a lot of people have not even heard of Aquarium at Niagara, and now they're going to. So that's really exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this already wonderful facility grow and become a bigger part of the community and conservation community up here. And last but not least in zoo news this week, some exciting polar bear news. Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services in Alaska uh, recently took an orphaned polar bear cub to the Alaska Zoo, feeling that was the best opportunity to help the cub survive after it was found roaming the Prudhoe Bay area of Alaska. Uh, The bear is doing well so far, but is not yet out in public view, but keepers are caring for him and giving him enrichment and all that kind of stuff. Because he was orphaned and then taken into human care and is now being, you know, handled at a zoo like any captive animal, most likely this male bear will not be able to be released, which means that this is the very rare example of a time where most likely we will have a new polar bear in the U.S. zoological collection. The bad news is that all of those rules that the government has about polar bears that I talked about in previous episodes that make it so hard to grow our population include not allowing any bears that were brought in from the wild to breed. Now, the idea behind this is that it stops people from bringing bears in illegally and then breeding them. I get that idea. But what that means is we now have a very genetically valuable male That is going to be in captivity in the U.S. that is not allowed to breed, even though it was fish and wildlife that determined the bear needed to be taken into captivity. And yeah, this just sucks. Uh, But it is still good news that we will have another polar bear because the, the numbers in captivity are dwindling. So hopefully that law will change at some point and we might even be able to see this male breed. Uh, They have not announced yet whether the bear will be staying at the Alaska Zoo or moving somewhere into the continental U.S. But uh, regardless, it's nice that this bear was saved and also that our zoo polar bear population has grown by one. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. There's a really interesting study that has been completed recently, and an article was written about it in The Hill, which is a congressional blog, by Robert Shoemaker, who is at the Indianapolis Zoo. Uh, But this isn't zoo-related so much as it's talking specifically about politics and conservation. So it turns out that the study has shown that the number of Americans that are interested in 
helping with conservation and have grown concerned about threats to endangered animals and the need for government and business to do more to protect them is rising sharply, especially amongst Republicans, which I find absolutely fascinating. How drastic are the numbers, you ask? Or maybe you don't ask, but I'll tell you anyway, because uh, you're not talking to me. This isn't a dialogue. It's a podcast. Anyway, uh, back in January of 2020, a survey done around the Indianapolis area found that 82% of Republicans said they were concerned about the extinction of animal species. A new survey uh, concluded in October of 2022 showed that that number had spiked to 95% of Republicans. Again, Republicans, the party that often votes against conservation-y things. That's the, that's the proper term, conservation-y things. Anyway, um, when asking Republicans if a candidate's commitment to animal and environmental conservation is important uh, in how they will vote in the 2024 presidential election— just under 80% said yes. That's huge. That's astonishing. And it's really interesting um, because it seems like the, the, there's a reason to believe, and this is not a confirmed thing, but there's a reason to believe that this spike happened during the pandemic because zoos across the nation – saw huge increases in the number of people that were visiting. You know, they're outdoors. Um, you could you could stay further away from other people. Social distancing is possible at zoos. Once zoos reopened, they saw a real spike, and that spike has continued all throughout the pandemic or post-pandemic time period, depending on whether you think COVID has ended or not, which is a whole other discussion. But anyway, the point is that, um, you know, it's it's – Probably more complicated than just that, but it is definitely worth mentioning that these numbers have spiked considerably after more people started going to zoos. Uh, that does not surprise me at all. But this does mean that Republicans are going to need to start to pay at least some attention to uh, endangered animals and other uh, conservation things or else they're going to see voters start to walk away. Now, I realize that there is a certain rabid fan base of the party that uh, may not be willing to walk away for that reason. But, um, you know, we tend to live in a fairly evenly split country where every vote matters. So this could be really good news for uh, conservation and politics. So, yeah, I'll take it. I constantly find myself shocked at the sheer number of species that exist, especially when you consider animals, plants, fungi, all that good stuff. Um, and so how big is that number? Well, this year alone in 2022, the California Academy of Sciences, which is just, you know, one facility, announced that their scientists described 146 new species. 146 new species. That includes 44 new lizards, 30 new types of ants, 14 types of sea slugs, 14 flowering plants, 13 sea stars, 7 fishes, 4 beetles, 4 sharks, 3 moths, 3 worms, 2 scorpions, 2 spiders, 2 lichens, 1 toad, 1 clam, 1 aphid, and 1 sea biscuit. That's one facility... Just a little bit over a dozen scientists have discovered that many new things in 2022 
alone. It's just a fascinating look at the biodiversity that we have and also, uh, you know, brings up some questions about taxonomy in general and all of that. But if you've listened to these episodes before, you know that I I have thoughts about those things. But this is not the time for it. Uh, but yeah, just, just a quick little look at, at what one year of, of research can do for finding new species. And last but not least in conservation news this week, uh, there have been seven expeditions over the past 10 months trying to study the Galapagos Islands pink iguanas, which is an endangered species of iguana that is uh, really cute and also, you know, pink. Uh, now, for the first time ever, scientists have documented nesting sites of the reptile, including finding actual hatchlings. This is really Exciting. This is the first time that baby or even juvenile pink iguanas have been found since the species was discovered back in 2009. Only older ones had been seen up to this point. So yeah, this is this is really, really cool. It is um, a population uh, that is confined to Wolf Volcano, the tallest volcano in the Galapagos, and that is the only place that they are found. Uh, Non-native feral cats tend to get to the area. They um, go near nesting sites and kill hatchlings and even some of the adults. Uh, but uh, now, now there are some hatchlings that are surviving. So steps can be taken to remove the non-native feral cats and to help this population continue to grow and hopefully we will save this beautiful and wildly endangered species. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast. All right, I'm now going to put my marriage on the line for this next story by bringing in an expert who had no clue that I was going to bring her in. Hi, Dr. Zoe Rossi. How are you? Hi. How, how are you? Good. That's a lie. You're intimidated that you're in here. Okay. Frightened. Frightened. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Okay. So did you know that the Congress of the United States has announced, oh my God, so many dogs are barging in with you. Did you know that the Congress of the United States has announced that there is a severe shortage in detection dogs? No, I did not know that. That's interesting. Isn't that indeed? And that many facilities where they train these dogs are having issues because people are expecting them to breed more, but normally facilities don't do much breeding, do they? No, they don't. In fact, where do most working dogs, or at least detection dogs, come from? They're imported from other countries. That is correct, specifically Europe. And there have been all kinds of supply chain issues lately, which mean that um, we're not getting the dogs that we need. And so right now there's a huge shortage in detection dogs. Any thoughts or opinions on that? Yes. <laughs> Do you care to share them? <laughs> it's a it's a big focus of the Penn Vet Working Dog Center trying to fix that problem. And Dr. Cindy Otto there um, has been trying to fix this problem for years. And they do research on detection dogs and training detection dogs and breeding detection dogs. They have a pretty robust breeding program there, one of the best in the country, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah, so I think it's cool. 
Perry just tried to break all of the podcast equipment. Yes, my 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 non-detection dog is is trying to she's eat a, my podcast. She's an amateur detection dog. Yes, we've started scent training, but we're not doing like bomb detection. She she detects food and she detects birch oil. She also detects my podcast equipment, which she's trying to break right now. Yes, mostly fun. She mostly detects fun. I'm glad this went well because uh, she could have killed me for this. Okay, and that is your other news for the week. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, and that is your Rossafari Zoo News for the week uh, and for the year. So uh, it is time to crack open a brand new Peppermint Narwhal 2023 Animal Holiday Calendar and see what the animal holidays for the week are going to be. And to be perfectly honest with you, there aren't many. Uh, The year ends without any new ones. And then the only one at the top of January is January 5th is National Bird Day. On top of that, Peppermint Narwhal has decided that 2023 is the year of the amphibian and will be celebrating amphibian species all year if you go to at Peppermint Narwhal and check out all of their cool artistic stuff. I really love Peppermint Narwhal. They have definitely supported the podcast, and I just appreciate having this calendar to share these dates with you for another year. And those are your animal holidays for the week. So there you have it, folks. Another episode of Rasafari Zoo News is done, and I hope you all have a great transition to 2023. I would like to say thank you to my Red Panda Level patrons, Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, and remind you all that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Rasafari. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do so on Venmo. My username is at Rasafari. Uh, we've got some cool episodes already recorded that we're going to start dropping early next year and uh, some pretty cool things planned that aren't recorded yet, but that I'm really excited about. So uh, I'm really looking forward to bringing in the new year with y'all. And I want to say thank you to the people who contributed to this week's episode. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, and Liz Dunleavy. And last but not least, remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.